0: Let's get our Bibles out and let's turn to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And it's always good to see Pastor Chuck. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, as we go through your word, may your word go through us. Change us, Lord. Mold us and make us into the people you want us to be. And encourage us tonight, Lord, through the trials and through the triumphs of your servant, Joseph. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me begin tonight with a quote. Never think that you could do something in life if only you had a different circumstances assigned to you. What we call hindrances, obstacles, disappointments are probably God's opportunities. Nowhere is that statement better illustrated than in the life of Joseph. His journey through life gets splattered with what appears to be disaster after disaster. But God's providence and Joseph's piety combine to turn each of these tragedies into a stepping stone. His life teaches us not to get down over disappointments. Joseph's topsy-turvy circumstances are proof of the truth that Paul will teach us later in Romans chapter 8 when he says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. As we mentioned last week, Joseph's journey is marked by four P words. He goes from a pit, to Potiphar's house, to the prison, And eventually to the palace. Here's a quote that describes Joseph. In duty, he was loyal. In temptation, he was strong. And in prison, he was faithful. And that's what we'll see tonight. Chapter 39 begins. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now, you remember the story began when Joseph was thrown into the pit by his brothers. They were jealous of the favoritism that had been shown him by his father. And they took it out on Joseph. They sold him to the slave traders that were headed down to Egypt. And then they dipped his fancy jacket into goat's blood to make their dead Jacob believe that he had been eaten by wild beasts. Now he's in Egypt. And imagine a 17-year-old, a young man, this Joseph, standing on the auction block in some slave market in Egypt. He's never been very far away from his father's tents. Now he's in a seedy section Of this Egyptian capital. He's being pawed over. He's been treated as a piece of livestock. He's a slave on the block. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. One man steps out of the crowd and decides to pay the price. Now, this name Potiphar means devoted to the sun. And no doubt he was connected to Egyptian idolatry. The word officer can also mean eunuch. A eunuch was a male who had been castrated. In most Oriental kings, they insisted that their highest officers be eunuchs. That assured that no hanky-panky would go on with members of the royal harem. And it's possible that Potiphar became a eunuch to get ahead in his career and to move up the ladder there in the, in the Egyptian court. We're also told that he was the captain of the guard. And that could be translated chief of police. Potiphar was probably the chief officer of Pharaoh's secret service. Now you put all that together and here's the picture. Joseph goes to work for an idol-worshipping Egyptian who holds this high-ranking office in the government and who's totally sold out to climb the corporate ladder. Verse 2 tells us, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Now notice the secret of Joseph's success. The Lord was with him. Even though he had been rejected by his own brothers, treated cruelly, uprooted from his home, sold in a slave market. Joseph refused to cop an attitude. I find that amazing. You know, he could have sulked. He could have started complaining. He could have become bitter over his plight, but he didn't. He accepted his circumstances, and he trusted in God. He saw himself as a victor rather than a victim. Guys, how are you dealing with the hand that you've been dealt? How are you handling the difficult circumstances you face tonight? Are you like Joseph? Well, verse 4 tells us, So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. He got promoted. Potiphar promoted Joseph, made him manager of all of his personal affairs. And so it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. In other words, he trusted Joseph completely. Just turned it all over to him. Trusted in this Hebrew slave. Verse 6, And Joseph was handsome in form, and appearance little Joe was wise beyond his years he was blessed by God he walked with God and he was also a hunk I mean Joseph was a pretty boy imagine in your mind sort of a Jewish Tom Cruise maybe a Jewish Leonardo DiCaprio or something And his good looks caught the eye of Mrs. Potiphar. For it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Potipharina makes a pass at Joseph. She propositions him with sex. Now remember, verse 1 tells us that Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh captain of the guard, and we discussed the possibility that Potiphar was a eunuch. But here's the question. Why would a eunuch ever bother to get married? And why would a woman ever marry a eunuch? That leads me to believe that Potiphar chose to become a eunuch after he had gotten married. Now, I can't prove that. It's just a suspicion. But it's possible that Potiphar sold out his virility, you might say, for a higher position in Pharaoh's court. In other words, he put his career ahead of his wife. He put climbing the corporate ladder ahead of meeting his wife's needs. And guys, that is always a mistake. When you stop caring for your wife, when you stop seeking to meet her needs... She is tempted to go elsewhere. Don't become an emotional eunuch in your wife's life. Potiphar's ambitions had slighted his wife. She's now unhappy. She's unsatisfied. And now this Leonardo DiCaprio is taken over as the man of the house. You can see the trouble is coming. But notice Joseph's response to her past. Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know, today we live in a world of rationalizations. Listen to how we've defined Our terms today. It's no longer called adultery, it's called an affair. Marriages are now open. Divorces are creative. Adulterers are called significant others. (laughs) Jay Allen Peterson describes how we've glamorized adultery. He says, affair? What a nice sounding, almost inviting word, wrapped in mystery, fascination, and excitement. A relationship not a sin. One psychologist has coined the term, he calls it healthy adultery. There are a million bleeding, hurting hearts who will testify to you that there is nothing healthy about it. Listen to a victim of adultery. She writes a letter to Ann Landers. She says, My husband and I have been married for 30 years. I was a virgin bride and have been a faithful wife. A young woman, our daughter's age, came on to him, and he took her to bed. He was so guilt-ridden and miserable that he told me about it the next day. I forgave him, did not mention it to a soul, and he never saw her again. He believes no harm was done. She thinks no harm was done, but she destroyed me. I'm unable to grow old gracefully. I cry for hours when I'm alone. You see, a bond between two souls gets violently torn apart through adultery. Trust between a husband and his wife gets shattered. The secrecy and the privacy of their relationship becomes violated. The bed becomes invaded. Trust me, there is injury. There is hurt. There is harm. Adultery does that. This woman's heartbreak is tragic. But adultery, understand, is a sin not just against your spouse. Notice what Joseph said. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? Against God. Your marital vows are not just vows between you and your mate. Your marital vows are between you and God. You see, sex carries heavy spiritual overtones. It's sacred because it speaks of God's relationship with His people. And adultery mars God's masterpiece. Sexual sin is a sin against both man and God. And Joseph refused. Here this woman is. She comes on to him. She sees him in charge of all of the house. And so she says, why don't we just go all the way and play house together? And Joseph says, no. But Mrs. Potiphar refuses to take no for an answer. In verse 10, she starts to apply the full court press. Notice, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day By day. This gal was persistent. You see, to her, Joseph was a challenge. You know, how can I get his attention? How can I woo him to bed? Who knows what all she did to try to seduce him, to try to entice him. All we know is that day after day after day, she threw out her bait and she tried to lure him in. And yet verse 10 tells us, he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. I think that's very important. He didn't even give it an opportunity. Not just to lie with her, but he didn't even find himself present with her. And that is so important. Because young people, if you don't hear anything else tonight, remember this, the mathematics of male and female relationships, time plus opportunity equals trouble. Did you write that down? Time plus opportunity equals trouble. It is the golden rule. He didn't lie with her. He wasn't even with her. And this is so impressive. For I am sure that Joseph was a normal, that means hormonal, teenage boy. He was tempted, no doubt about it. And I'm sure there were times when she caught him when he was tired and he was vulnerable and perhaps even discouraged and deflated. She would lure him to, Oh, let me put the wind back in your sails, big boy. And at times, I'm sure he felt like giving in. But Joseph resisted every time. You know, I'm afraid that many believers are virtuous only because of a lack of opportunity. If they were baited day in and day out like Joseph, it wouldn't take long for them to cave in. Guys, godly convictions, personal integrity, moral purity were priorities for Joseph, and they need to be priorities for you and me. Non-negotiables, as we've been talking about on Sunday morning. And let me make one more point. Don't believe it when you hear the lie Well, everybody else is doing it. That's simply not true. Yes, some are doing it. It could be that many are doing it. It could even be that most are doing it. But not everybody's doing it. Joseph didn't do it. And I know there are still some Josephs today who don't do it. Rather than being like everybody else, be a Christian. Be called to be different be committed to Jesus Christ despite what everybody else is doing. Well, finally, after days, after weeks, perhaps even after months of trying to woo Joseph to bed, Mrs. Potiphar sets a trap. Verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside. And I wonder why they weren't there. I'm sure she gave them the afternoon off. She set this up that she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And and I don't want your minds to, to run off the wrong direction here, but who knows what she was wearing, if anything, when she caught him and when she grabbed his coat. Suddenly, she's alone with Joseph. She grabs him. She starts pulling off his clothes. And Joseph jerks away and he runs for his life. Guys, sometimes temptation can be so strong, so fierce, that the only option for us is to flee. To just run for your life. Leave the premises. Remove yourself logistically from the source of that temptation. This is what Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Flee youthful lusts. That's a message that we need to hear. Verse 12. But he left his garment in her hand, and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. She's the one that said, Lie with me. Now she's telling lies about Joseph. I'm sure you've heard the expression, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And a rejected Mrs. Potiphar now becomes vindictive. She claims that Joseph has tried to rape her, and she holds up this coat as proof. If she can't get Joseph, then she's going to get Joseph. Verse 16. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, This Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Now, I don't believe he was angry with Joseph. I believe he was angry at his wife. He knew his wife. And I'm sure he suspected her of lying. The problem is that he had no proof. He was angry at her for soiling a good man's reputation, for lying about this man Joseph. He probably had a whole lot more confidence in Joseph than he did in her. He was angry at her for trying to force him to take action. How do we know that? If Potiphar really believed his wife's charges, he wouldn't have had Joseph thrown into prison. He would have had Joseph executed. Remember, all Joseph was to him was a slave. No, the fact that he had Joseph thrown into prison was proof that he believed he was innocent. I think Potiphar wanted to save Joseph, but at the same time, too, he had no proof, and so he had to save face, and so he had him thrown into prison. Well, verse 20 tells us, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Notice this. Everywhere Joseph goes, God blesses him. He finds favor. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. Potiphar trusted him with his household. Now the warden of the prison trusts Joseph with the keeping of the the jailhouse. Here's a man of integrity. Here's a man of honesty. It's recognized by everybody he comes in contact with. And whatever he did, notice this again, whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now we know from piecing several verses together here, that Joseph served Potiphar for a number of years, perhaps as long as a decade. Imagine now Joseph's feelings. He's in prison. A decade of faithful service is now up in smoke. Here he's been faithful to Potiphar, and what does he have to show for it? He's right back in prison. Right back where he started, in essence, a pit. I mean, this is the second time he's been burned. And after another betrayal, after another round of unfair treatment, I'm not so sure if I had been Joseph, I wouldn't have just given up. I probably would have gotten angry with God. I would have become bitter, but Joseph does none of those things. It's amazing. No matter how low this guy goes, he still has the ability to lift up his eyes to God. He still has the ability to have faith. This is a marvelous character. He remains faithful. He remains trust, trustworthy. And he keeps his faith in God no matter what. This morning, Dan Morley walked by. And I, I said, Dan, how are you doing today? And Dan says, well, you know how Dan is. He says, well, Sandy... But, I'm doing medium well. (laughs) And so I don't know why I said it, but I told him, I said, well, you know, Dan, Jesus said that he wanted us to be well done, good and faithful servants. And you know, if you're only medium well, he might just throw you back on the fire. Dan got a whole nother sermon without asking for it. (laughs) But that's what God did with Joseph. Here he is. He throws him right back on the fire. Chapter 40. It came to pass after these things that the butler, and understand the butler was not the guy who, you know, puts the jacket on him and, you know, shines his shoes. The butler was the king's cupbearer in essence, he was his personal wine taster. And the baker of the king of Egypt, offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And I'm sure when when whatever happened, we don't know what happened that offended him, but I'm sure that somebody in the crowd raised their hand and said, the butler did it. (laughs) And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. And so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, And he served them, and so they were in custody for a while. Now, both chief baker and chief butler were strategic posts in a royal court. If the king's enemies, remember, wanted to assassinate him, the easiest method would be to bribe the baker or to bribe the butler. Just have them poison his wine or poison his bread. They could do him in. That meant that the butler and the baker had to be men that the king could trust, important men, loyal men. What these guys did to anger the king, we're not told. Burn a bagel, perhaps. Spill a little wine on the new royal carpet, we're not sure. But it's no accident that they end up locked down in prison on Joseph's watch, again. Though Joseph doesn't recognize it, God's hand is at work. God's providence is once more at work in Joseph's circumstances. Verse 5 tells us, Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. One night, two dreams. And Joseph came into them in the morning, and looked at them, and saw that they were sad. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We have each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Notice Joseph's statement. It's a provocative statement. Do not interpretations belong to God? And it's true. God can and does speak to us through dreams. Now that doesn't mean that every dream is a message from God. As a matter of fact, I believe that dreams come from four sources. They can come from God. They can come from Satan. They can come from our own psyche. And they can come from last night's pizza. All four can cause dreams, and we need to be able to identify, discern the source of the dream. Don't discount every dream. When you dream, pray for an interpretation. Verse 9, Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in his hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. In three days, you're going to get your job back. Verse 14, but remember me when it is well with you, he's asking for a favor here, and please show kindness to me, make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into this dungeon. He's asking for a little break. He's asking for a favor. When you get back to Pharaoh's house, how about putting in a good word for me and getting me out of this jail? Well, the baker also had a dream. Now, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in a dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. I wonder if there are any Krispy creams in there. <laughs> and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now, though it's not recorded in the text, I believe that I know the baker's reaction to Joseph's interpretation. (laughs) He looks up and he says, can I get a second opinion? I'm sure that after hearing Joseph's interpretation, this baker had a hard time keeping his head on straight. I mean, he's really squirming. He's really upset. Here's the summation of Joseph's two interpretations. In three days, the butler will get ahead, while in three days, the baker will lose his head. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, oh, a birthday party, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And it just so happens that the third day corresponded with Pharaoh's birthday. Now, my wife loves birthdays. This was one of the things that I had to deal with when we got married. For us, a birthday was just sort of your birthday. It was just maybe another day, a little special, but cake and that's about it. But for Kathy, a birthday is really, really special. It's a big deal. And well, it should be. Unless you read the Bible. She does read the Bible. She watches NFL football too. But But the problem though is when you read the Bible, you're not so sure that birthday parties are a good idea. For there are only two birthday parties mentioned in the Bible. One is here and the other is Herod's birthday. When Salome danced before the king and as a favor asked for the head of John the Baptist. When a birthday pops up in the Bible, somebody always loses his head. (laughs) And, of course, this all happened just as the dreams had predicted. Verse 23. And yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. What a tragic verse. I mean, your heart just bleeds for Joseph. This guy can't get a break. He assumes that when the butler gets promoted, he's going to pull Joseph up too, but Again, his hopes are dashed. And think of the opportunities Joseph had to get discouraged. Think about that. I mean, his brother shafted him, literally. Threw him down a shaft, threw him down a pit. He was treated unfairly at Potiphar's house. He was lied about by Potiphar's wife. He was lied to by the butler. I'm sure he felt at this point that his life was a waste. He was headed nowhere and getting there fast. But all the while, though he was discouraged, though he didn't see what God was doing, nevertheless, God was perfectly positioning him for a strategic and a vital purpose that we're about to see. William Cowper once said, Behind a frowning providence, there shines a smiling face. Joseph doesn't see God in his life, but he is there nonetheless working things out for good. As the Jewish rabbis used to say, coincidence is not a kosher word. I mentioned last week that not only was Joseph's life an example of providence, but it's also a picture and a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And here too is where the plot thickens. Now remember, Joseph was sent by his father To check on his brothers. Jesus too was sent into this world by his Father in heaven. To do what? To check on his brothers, the Jews. Joseph found his brothers in the town of Dothan. And you remember, Dothan means law. And Jesus found the Jews in the first century steeped in law, in legalism, in tradition. Joseph's brothers rejected him and wanted to kill him. And the Jewish leaders had the same reaction to Jesus. In fact, they succeeded in having Him executed. Joseph ends up in prison. Jesus ends up on the cross, numbered with the prisoners. Joseph interacts with two jailbirds. There were two thieves on the cross, weren't there? Joseph was accused falsely. He was punished for someone else's sin. Jesus was also innocent of all wrongdoing and died for your sin and for my sin. It seems that Potiphar was reluctantly sentenced, or Joseph was reluctantly sentenced by Potiphar. You remember Pilate reluctantly sentenced Jesus. Joseph ends up remembered by what happens to a butler and to a baker. The butler being a wine tester, and the baker being a preparer of bread. And notice what Jesus is remembered by. Each time we come to the Lord's table, what do we find? Wine and bread. Joseph's salvation comes through the wine taster, the butler who gets promoted to the house. And our salvation comes through what wine represents, the blood of Jesus Christ. There are some fascinating parallels here between Joseph and Jesus. Chapter 41. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river, the Nile, seven cows, fine looking and fat. And they fed in the meadow. And of course it doesn't say this, but you you know what they said. Eat more chicken. (laughs) Go to Chick-fil-A. Well, I just threw that in there. (laughs) I thought that was great. Eat more chicken. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt. And stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. And so Pharaoh awoke. Obviously, the dream disturbed him. It caused him to have a cow. (laughs) And if he was like me, he gets woken up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep, and so what does he do? He goes down to the refrigerator Pours him a big glass of milk. After all, he dreamed about cows. Drinks the milk, and then he goes back to sleep. And in verse 5, he slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. And so Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. Apparently, it must have been so lifelike that, that he, you, know, you get caught up in those dreams, and you forget it's a dream, you know, and you wake up, and it's just so real to him. Verse 8, Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And he calls in his stable of soothsayers and fortune teller types, and he asks them for an interpretation. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. They all strike out. And that's when God reaches down through the Holy Spirit and sort of jabs the butler's memory. He plants a thought in his head. What about that Hebrew back in the prison? Verse 9. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day, two years later. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each dreamed a dream, in one night he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us, to each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened he restored me to my office and he hanged him. Two years later, the butler finally did do it. He finally keeps his promise. He finally remembers Joseph. And in verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead, he also changed his clothes, didn't he? He he came from the grave, shining with a bright light, radiating and reflecting the glory of God. I don't know if the risen Christ was clean shaven, perhaps he was would have fulfilled the type here with Joseph. And, Joseph said to, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now I love that, don't you? It's not in me. Joseph refuses to take credit, but but understand this, neither does he back down. You know, there's some people I know, they'll say, oh, it's not in me, but then they won't do anything. No, Joseph says, no, it's not in me, but I'm not afraid to stand up and represent God. I'm not afraid here to speak for God. He's bold, he's confident, but it's not in himself. His confidence is in God. You see, Joseph is no longer the haughty kid who strutted around in front of his brothers wearing his letter jacket suffering has added humility to this man's boldness and this man's confidence. Verse 17, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And you know what they said? Eat more chicken. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, "'Such ugliness as I have never seen "'in all the land of Egypt. "'And the gaunt and ugly cows "'ate up the first seven, the fat cows. "'When they had eaten them up, "'no one would have known that they had eaten them, "'for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. "'So I awoke. "'Also I saw in my dream, "'and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk.' full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind spring up after them. And the seven heads devoured the seven good heads. The thin heads devoured the seven good heads. And so I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. And so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God. Remember, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And God will shortly bring it to pass. Two dreams, one interpretation, seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine so severe that they will forget the years of abundance. But Joseph goes beyond just offering an interpretation. He does a mind-blowing thing next. He gives the Pharaoh advice. Now, you got to understand, the Egyptians believed that the Pharaoh was the reincarnation of the sun god, Ra. And in the minds of this court... This would be like a slave giving advice to a God. That would be pretty appalling. It could get Joseph in some serious trouble. But Joseph wasn't afraid to speak for God. Yes, he knew that it was not in him. But nevertheless, he would stand up and let God work through him. He proposes a plan for some nationwide rationing. Verse 33. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. When he got done, I'm sure he kind of held his breath. How is Pharaoh going to react to this bold advice? Verse 37, So the advice was good in the eyes of the Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. In fact, we're told in verse 38 that Pharaoh was so impressed, he said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And this is the first time in the Bible where it recognizes the Spirit of God indwelling a human being. And notice the observation was made by a pagan heathen king. You know, it's obvious to me that Joseph had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, a godless Pharaoh recognizes that there is something supernatural about this young man. And I read that and I thought, did the people around me look at my life and say, wow, there's a man in whom dwells the Spirit of God. You know, I believe that if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're baptized with the Spirit's power and presence in our life, I believe it'll become obvious to the people around us. I believe the people around us will recognize that there's something different about us. I love what Donald G. says about the filling of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know it. And need no one to acquaint you with the fact, you will soon be acquainting them. In other words, you will be a bold witness. That's what always happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We become bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. I hope that before you leave tonight, you'll pray. and You'll ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and overflow from your life. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word, only in regard to the throne, I will be greater than you. Joseph gets a promotion here. And a pretty big promotion. Suddenly, he goes from slave to second in command in all Egypt. Verse 41. And, Joseph said to jo- and Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee, bow the knee. And so he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And here he defines the scope of Joseph's authority. Without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Man, overnight, Joseph goes from the pit to the pinnacle. Incredible. He came to Egypt with an iron chain around his neck. Now he's adorned with a gold chain. What a turnaround. Joseph was comeback player of the year. (laughs) Joseph was 17 when he was lifted from that pit and taken to Egypt. He is now 30 when he reaches the palace. In between were 13 long, difficult, troubling years. You know, I am sure that there were many paths that God could have used to get Joseph from Canaan down to Egypt. But by doing it this way, God not only made a way, God made a man. The circumstances that Joseph went through caused him to understand that God's privileges don't justify a pompous attitude. That promotion is from God and it's the result of His grace, not our greatness. While in the pit, God had made His point. And I wonder right now, if you're somewhere between the pit and the pinnacle. You're somewhere in those troubling years, those difficult years. Be assured that God has a lot of ways to get you where He wants you to go, but the way He's chosen is because He wants to do something in you to change you and to make you the man or woman you need to be for that place where He's going to get you eventually. Remember that. Verse 45 And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphna Paniah. Joseph's a lot easier to pronounce. Which, which in e- Egyptian means savior of the world. And he gave him as a wife, Asenoth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. She was an Egyptian which made her a Gentile bride. And guess whose journey again paralyzes, p- parallels parallels <laughs> It's my third sermon today. Don't forget that. (laughs) Guess whose life now parallels Joseph's life? Of course, it was Jesus. For Jesus was also raised from a pit, taken from a prison, clothed with honor and glory. And after he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven and he was exalted to the right hand of the king. And notice what they said to Joseph, when he rode in his chariot, they said, bow the knee, bow the knee. And you remember Philippians 2 verse 10 teaches us that one day, every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. And notice too, Joseph receives an Egyptian name, Zaphne Paniah, which means Savior of the world. And there is no better name than that, than for Jesus Christ is there. Savior of the world. And in verse 50, after his promotion, Joseph receives... A Gentile bride, this woman named Asenath. And that is exactly what happens to Jesus. He too has received a Gentile bride, you and me, the church. Fascinating picture. Verse 45. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was without number. He managed a great harvest, didn't he? Which is also, by the way, what Jesus is doing today. A harvest of souls is underway. A great harvest. But the harvest of souls that exists today will be followed by seven years of famine. And we call that period the great tribulation. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me, Forget all my toil in all my father's house. In the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, "'Go to Joseph.' Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was all over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. And verse 57 sort of sets up for the amazing events that are about to follow. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. And among those who journeyed down to Egypt for bread was a family living in Canaan, a father named Israel, who formerly was named Jacob, and his eleven sons. And the rest of Genesis describes how Joseph treats his brothers when they meet again. Stay tuned next week. Eat more chicken. You guys need to tell your boss up at Chick Fil A that they need to come down here and treat us to some free chicken one one uh, Sunday or something because we gave a lot of free advertising tonight. You know that. They don't work on Sunday. That's true. They don't work on Sunday. That's good. That's a good thing. In the staff meeting this past week, we talked about a great idea. We could go up to Chick-fil-A, and we could buy up all the sandwiches on Saturday, and we could come down and sell them here on Sunday. <laughs> and then we thought about that and thought, no, that's probably not a good witness, probably not a, a good idea. <coughs> Jay, that was your idea, wasn't it, James? That came from the top. That's, that was Zach's idea. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a good day. We've had a good day. Let's pray. Then we'll be dismissed. Anybody got anything they want to say? Anybody got anything they want to say? Anybody? Except my wife. we are glad you came today let's pray and lord thank you so much for today thank you for your goodness toward us thank you for the great time we've had in your word lord and we've had fun we've enjoyed our study tonight but lord we there are some here tonight that feel like joseph what did they ever do to deserve this they've been burned twice they've been burned three times They've gone from the pit and thought they were finally doing better. Finally, things were happening. Finally, blessings were coming. And then they were shot down again. And they've wondered why. And like Joseph, they're sitting in that prison tonight. Two long years. They think they've been forgotten. They think that your plans for their lives have failed. That there's no hope. Lord, I pray you'll give them courage tonight. And you'll strengthen their faith. And you would keep hope alive. And you would help them to realize that your plans never fail. That your promises are never, never go unfulfilled. They're always true and just. And your promises are always faithful. It's just time that's what they need. They need to wait on you. They need to be patient. They need to let you, Lord. Bring about just the right circumstances at just the right time. And so, Father, encourage our faith tonight. Strengthen us. Help us to be like Joseph. Not growing bitter, but becoming better. Throw us back on the fire if need be, Lord. So one day you'll say of us, Well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.